Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Spark Pride Podcast, Jonathan Shop here with you today looking back at an infamous day in Michigan State football history, September 21st, 2013, Michigan State at Notre Dame. That's right. That game, the pass interference game, flags fiesta, whatever you want to call it. We're going to look back at that one today. We'll look back at the outlook moving forward, which is, of course, the reposting on Substack of all of my articles from that fantastic 2013 season. We're going to talk about what Michigan State was expecting going into the ballgame. We'll talk about the ball game itself and some of the fallout and legend that has occurred ever since. Michigan State loses 17 to 13. They have a bye week the week after, which Mark D'Antonio talked about in our exclusive interview with him about the 2013 team at the end of May. We're going to cover all that stuff today right here on the Spartan Pride Podcast, part of the Fans First Sports Network. Spark Pride Podcast, Jonathan Shop here with you today talking 2013, looking back at the fantastic season Michigan State had. Again, the accompanying Substack repostings. Chase it again is what we're calling it. That's up at the Spartan Pride Substack. If you are nuts and you want to look back at what was written back in 2013, or if you love history, or if you just want to be reminded of what was going on back then. So Michigan State coming into Notre Dame was, of course, a 3-0 football team coming off the win against Youngstown State 55-17. They looked a little more ready, but there were still a lot of question marks that were unanswered. As we talked about during that article, there was, of course, a question relative to the quarterback and whether or not Connor Cook had done enough to stand out as a starter, whether Michigan State had seen enough from Tyler O'Connor to write him off or where Andrew Maxwell might have fit in. Cook looked good, not great, but really good against a Division uh, 1AA team, but you don't really know how that's going to transfer on the road. It was unique to say and think about the fact that Connor Cook, like everybody else, has got to start somewhere. So his first road start in college football was at Notre Dame Stadium on that day. As Michigan State got ready for Notre Dame, it was unclear what kind of play they would get from Cook. It was more unclear if Terry or O'Connor would see the field again, and it seemed like Connor Cook and Andrew Maxwell were going to be the Spartans' best options. Ironically, both of them played on that day. 
Coach D was always talking about trying to have balance. Coach Bowman later explained that at least the appearance of balance is what they were going to go for relative to the run and pass game. Again, this is a different sport in some ways than we see now, where it appears that college football, like the NFL, is becoming a pass-to-score, run-to-win kind of sport, at least at the top of it. Really, emphasis continues to be on the passing game, and as we get into college football this season, that ain't going to stop. That's not going to stop. So it's too hard to figure too much out from what you saw against Youngstown State, but there was a good feeling that Michigan State had a good wide receiver group, about seven deep, and obviously it turned out to be a pretty darn good group. But with the idea that they were going to need to score some points to beat Notre Dame. Defensively, the unit had really taken off hot. Shalik Calhoun is a breakout star. He had kept things going. A lot of guys got a lot of reps at Youngstown State, and they were very ready for who they would see with Notre Dame. The funny part is... Tommy Reese was the quarterback at Notre Dame. You you may know him now as a coach around major college football, and he's had coaching history with Brian Kelly. So he went from playing for Kelly to coaching with uh, and for Kelly. Not too much time. The defense looked ready. We did not know how good that defense would be yet, but we knew they were on the way, and they would not disappoint and South Bend at all, but they would become the story of the game, as many of you recall. The special teams heading into Notre Dame, it wasn't real clear what was going to happen, but it did start a new era for the special teams. Uh, The Notre Dame game did start a new era. We'll talk about that after the break. And overall, the feeling going into Notre Dame, as I look back and, and read what was written, was that it wasn't really clear what was going to happen. I thought all options were on the table. Michigan State could get blown out by Notre Dame. They might jumpstart their season, which was so badly needed by beating Notre Dame. But uh, in arguably the biggest rivalry in Michigan State history, and that may be controversial, but consider Michigan State football history is long. The late, great Bubba Smith had Notre Dame as their top rival, and it may be a bigger rival than the sibling rivalry inside the state on a national picture. Because to be honest, Notre Dame-Michigan State is a national rival. As we all know, the most famous game in the history of the sport, the 1966-10-10 tie. And when the series really fired up again during the early Saban era, it became must-see TV quite a bit. We all have seen and remembered many famous Notre Dame games. Coach D, of course, involved in a couple of them, uh, starting with his first year. Then you go a couple years down the road, the Little Giants play. And of course, this one as well, 2013 would go on to become more infamous than famous, but it right up there. So as the Spartans were getting ready for Notre Dame, it was kind of a midterm grade, if you will. It wasn't the middle of the season, wasn't the middle of the semester, but it was like, okay, you've been working since a disappointing 2012, You haven't shown us too much here early on. Now let's see what you got, because it's going to take everything you've got to beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame Stadium, because this is a legitimate team that's got a lot of players all over the field. So that kind of teed us up 
for the Notre Dame game as it would become. I love looking back at these perhaps and other thoughts because they're a snapshot of what was going on in college football at the time. Before we go to this break, looking back at those, uh, the first one I have essentially says, if the offense stumbles and looks really bad at Notre Dame, Mark D'Antonio needs to make a change to his staff immediately and not afford to let this defense and let this season go away. That's how good the defense was and how bad the offense had been for a long time. Again, reckoning back to the change at Wisconsin earlier in the season, a year before, where Brett Bielema changed offensive line coaches about uh, three weeks in. Along the Wisconsin lines, one of the more infamous Pac-12 at night hatchet jobs by officials was when Gary Anderson was at Wisconsin. He's at Arizona State late in the middle of the night, setting up for a game-winning field goal, and the officials blew the game dead, took the ball, ran off the field. Anderson would go on to be an incredibly fascinating and wild card story of a coach. Gary Anderson, if you don't remember, go ahead and look up his history and you'll your eyes will, will get big. But he had one of the greatest lines I ever heard on the Big Ten Coaches Conference call when I asked him what he thought about that ending. He said, it's hard when the kids didn't get to decide the game on the field and they never will be able to. So to me, it's the game that never ended. I don't care what anyone says about that, comma, that's how I feel. I wonder if Gary Anderson still feels the same today, 10 years later. I have a real good feeling that he does. And that is just an infamous Pac-12 at night officiating situation. Just put it that way. And around this time, Yahoo Sports had some investigative news going. At this time, there was so much smoke in the Southeast about Ole Miss, especially what was going on with them. And this is back in a day and age when there wasn't too much social media. So there was actually a lot of investigative reporting going on. And there were some real wild times in the Southeast Conference. We'll just leave it at that. That was a look back at the outlook moving forward. The article I wrote the week before Notre Dame game, you can find it on the Spartan Pride Substack. We're going to be right back and talk about that infamous game, Michigan State's 17-13 loss at Notre Dame Stadium, right here on the Spartan Pride podcast. Now we talk about the game. Jonathan Shop, Spartan Pride Podcast. Welcome back. Now we talk about the game, one of the more infamous in Michigan State Notre Dame history because of the flags. Because of the flags. They caught everybody's attention. Coach D. Wright after the game said, quote, We did what we had to in terms of defensively, I felt we played the ball the way we teach them to play the ball. That's how they played the ball. Beyond that, I'm not going to have any comments. That's for other people to comment on in private. Now, looking back, if you heard our interview with Mark D'Antonio, he actually explained some of what he did in the Spartan Spy Week, asking 
a lot of questions about the officials, uh, a lot of the calls that were made. If you recall, there were five different personal, uh, sorry, five different pass interference flags thrown. They were extremely, extremely important. And they cost the Spartans quite a bit. Michigan State had a phenomenal day in many ways. 82 yards rushing on 32 attempts for Notre Dame. That's it. You know, to that point in 83 games under Mark D'Antonio, Michigan State had held opponents under 100 yards rushing on 39 occasions. That is not too shabby. That's part of why that team got to be as good as it did and part of why you could see the defense just starting to uh, catch a little bit of fire. 17-13, Michigan State goes down. The problem with the flags was they seemed a little bit random. They seemed a little overcooked, and they actually seemed exactly what Notre Dame wanted. Brian Kelly talked after the game about the idea that they went into this game knowing they could throw some back shoulder balls and have a really good chance to get flags thrown. Well, they got enough of them to win the game. In short, Michigan State stubbed its own toe. It, it, it did not help itself with some miscues offensively, which left them behind. Um, you look at the amount of points Notre Dame scored, even with the, 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 the flags, 17 um, is not very many. So the flags are going to always be the story of this game and what's remembered most about this game. But it's not necessarily just those flags that cost them. A new era began. True freshman Michael Geiger made his first field goal attempt, a 25-yarder in the third quarter, and then he hit one for 42 in the fourth quarter. Geiger would have a tremendous career, as we all know. He'd have a tremendous season in a kicking position that even then was a big deal. As I've said before, it's true and it'll always be true. Kicking is a big deal at Michigan State. Both of the kicking trophies in the Big Ten have Michigan State Spartans on them, and to be... uh, really clear as a bell Michigan State has as strong a kicking history as any school in college football look what Martin Anderson did as the NFL's all-time scoring leader forever as an example and look at all the great kickers that we've seen even just in the D'Antonio era and all the big kicks they've made kicking always matters at Michigan State this was the start for Michael Geiger who came in looking real good But nobody had any idea he would turn out to be as effective a kicker and important a kicker as he did become at Michigan State. The Irish on that day were held to 224 yards of offense, the lowest in the Brian Kelly era to that date, and the lowest that it had since losing to Southern Cal in their heyday in the Uh, mid-2000s, if you will. Um, 2008, I believe, was that that year. So Michigan State goes in. They turn the ball over once. It really seemed like they had the game decided by the referees. Not taken away, but it was decided. After the game again, Coach D was asked if he'd ever seen so many defensive pass interference calls in one game, 
I've been coaching 30 plus years. No, never. I guess that's why we should stop talking about it right there. At this point, we had known Coach D and Spartan Nation pretty well and had an idea what that meant. What we didn't know was how much it would stick with him. He ripped that out without any question, like it just happened yesterday when I talked to him in late May down in Atlanta. And he talked as well about running into the head of officials subsequently after that and shaking his head and trying to get clarification on why that game was called that way. We don't know why it was called that way. It was. It seems strange. It forever will. And it's the signature of the ball game. Another strange thing that happened at the end was um, going back to Andrew Maxwell at the very, very end for the final drive. He was out of rhythm, not any in any rhythm at all. Uh, it didn't matter. It still seems strange. It didn't seem like a bad decision to put Maxwell in, although it seemed like you might have wanted to warm him up, at least with a series somewhere earlier in the second half. It may have just been that Connor Cook did not have the book, if you will, of a of how to run the offense as fast as it could, but it, it didn't matter. that The game was decided before then. It was decided by the, really probably decided by the pass interference calls. If those calls were not made, it's very unlikely Notre Dame scores more than, um, it's really unlikely they score more than 13. Really, really unlikely, and it, it probably, it probably end up with less. An infamous game in Michigan State Notre Dame history, one that is marked and remembered by the flags a flying for pass interference calls to move the Irish down the field more than anything else. I remember Jim Miller on the call that day for Spartan Radio, and after the game, he said something you very rarely hear from somebody as accomplished and knowledgeable about the sport. And yes, I'm talking about the same Jim Miller that's on Sirius Radio that y'all know so well covers the Bears, been around a long time. He said, I'm not sure the better team won today. Now, he said that right after the game, and it looked like, yeah, he may be right. It didn't take too long to figure out that he was absolutely right. There's no question which team was better, which was the better team that year. There's still a little bit of question which was the better team that day. Michigan State, Notre Dame, 17-13, salty, infamous game, marked by the flags. Brian Kelly might have put it best. When you know the quarterback is going to throw it back shoulder and the defensive back doesn't know where it is, you have an advantage in that situation. You're going to get some pass interference calls when you put the ball in a good position. Some is the key word to that Brian Kelly quote. I look back 10 years later, they got just enough to beat Michigan State 17-13, send them into the bye week 3-1, and one, and leave us wondering what was to come next. What happens next is a great story and an unbelievable run to the finish. As you know, the Spartans do not lose again, and they get better and better, and then they take off. We're going to cover it all. The rest of the season between now and August 30th, we're going to break down the rest of the games right here on the Spartan Pride podcast. And we're going to have other episodes as well. But if you're looking to just follow that series, you'll be able to find it. You'll be able to follow the Spartan Pride 
Substack as well. And it's all here. Part of the Fans First Sports Network. I'm Jonathan Schopp. We'll talk to you soon.